welcome to a new Paradigm of Education podcast. I'm your host, Monique Sayers. Today we have a special guest with us. Her name is Kari O'Driscoll. I hope I've got your name correct. You can always uh, correct us in a moment. It's really lovely to have you here. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, New Paradigm of Education looks at new ways of education, of how we can collectively expand education into ways that are meaningful and of the highest good for all. So we get together with all different mentors, parents, educators, students of the world, and we talk about, well, well what is a new paradigm of education anyway? Mm-hmm. So I'd love to introduce you to our podcast, Carrie. It's so lovely to have you here. Is it Carrie? Have I got your name correct for the audience? Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. You do. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> She's the author um She's an author and a speaker, and she's a founder of The Self Project, which we're going to find out in a moment about. So I'd love to just, if you could introduce yourself a bit further to everybody. Thank you. Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about this. Um, I, so yes, I'm a mother. Um, I have raised two of my own children and then two found children. They're all young adults now, um, ranging in age from 20 to 22. Um, and I, my educational background is in patient advocacy and adolescent brain and social development. So teenagers are my favorite people. Um, and that's really why I started the self project. And it's what I write about. I write about mindfulness and nonviolent communication. I write about how we take advantage of what's happening in the adolescent brain and all the amazing stuff that's going on so that we can teach young people how to want to learn and how to keep their brains on fire for all of the things that they're going to encounter in their lifetimes. Um, And that's part of why I'm so frustrated with the traditional educational systems that we have. (laughs) It's because we don't take advantage of all those things. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. And it's so, it's so amazing now that, um, there's been a paradigm shift. Everybody's saying the same thing. Like out of everybody I've spoken with around the world, we're all just, we're all saying the same thing. It needs to change and we're making it change like step by step by different projects and different, different ways that we do every day. You know, it's, that's, what's been so incredible about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do think, you know, especially here in the United States, we've, we're really good at creating systems that, forget to center the people they're supposed to be serving. The systems end up centering themselves, right? So we've created these huge government systems and these big school systems, but we're not, they're too big and they're not able to pivot. And so like when we get new information about the way human beings learn best, we're not able to actually pivot and and shift so that we can change our systems to make those, to optimize it for young people. Um, And I, so I do think it is the driving force behind that is, you know, parents and educators who are feeling really frustrated and who want to innovate a little bit. um, We're going to end up having to just break those systems and in some cases really start over. Yeah. I totally hear you around that. And um. Yeah, that's my dream is that the collective consciousness is is shifting and that everybody is is saying the same thing and, and a new system is formed and not even a system, a new way is is formed. And I don't exactly know how that looks because it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's different for each child. But but yeah, what I do know is that having a one size fits all is not it's not working. So, of course, 
you know that's why it's amazing to have people like yourself who are here with different projects because we get to learn some new ideas maybe we can take a piece of what you're doing and use it in our own way you know I'd love to hear about the self project as well could you share with us yeah I would be happy to so the self project is really um the first book is it basically a curriculum it's a social emotional learning curriculum for adolescents so ages 10 and up basically and and it really draws on the principles of mindfulness and nonviolent communication, but it also uses the fact that what we know about how human beings learn best is we learn best in relationship. Mm -hmm. We learn best when we have agency, like what am I interested in? What do I want to explore more? And, and we learn best when we're able to process information in the way that works for us individually. So everybody processes information just a little bit differently, right? So the self-project uses um, facilitated discussion. The students really lead the conversation, right? You can start with, you know, I'm going to tell you this short little story. And then we throw it to the students. It's like, what is that? What is, what's intriguing about that? What do you want to know more about? What do you, what did you already know? Right. And the goal is that the, that the young people are having conversations with each other. And as they're sharing different ideas, they're sparking each other's ability to get excited about something new. And, and there, you know, it could be anything from dealing with stress and anxiety to, um, what does a healthy relationship even look like? You know, how do I create boundaries around relationship? It can be where, you know, how have I been taught to learn and where is it not working for me? Like maybe I'm not that kid that can sit still for an hour and a half and take notes while a teacher lectures at me. Maybe I don't learn best that way. So how do I learn best? And then it teaches young folks to, to advocate for themselves, right? To be able to like, where is my voice? How do I use my voice best? And then where do I use that to inspire myself and other people? And it does it all within the context of relationship so that the young folks are engaged and they get to be the architects of their own learning. It's not this like top-down hierarchy. I know everything I'm going to you know, you need to sit there and be this passive receptacle for all the information, right? It is, what do you care about? What part of this is interesting to you? And then they get to really engage with that. And we all know, you know, the more like we, when somebody asks your opinion for, about something, of course, you're going to be engaged in that conversation. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And totally, I can imagine how ignited they'd feel just um, to be able to, yeah, to share with their hearts what it is. And mm -hmm. also to be able to do that just like in a non-judgmental way, in a safe way, in an encouraging way as well, like a welcoming way, you know, that's what's really beautiful about it as well. Yeah, there's no right or wrong answers in, in any of this, right? And And the educators that I work with, are really just facilitating the conversation. They're not there to like grade things or, you know, interrupt the kids unless, you know, unless there's harm happening, right? But for the most part, it's really just, we're sort of guiding our the young people so that like, where can we go deeper with that? Or, hey, did everybody, ever, I want everybody to stop and listen and think of what did that one person say? What was intriguing about that, right? So that, so the educators become more, 
skilled at facilitating and the students really get to take the lead, which is how most of us learn best, frankly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, there's so many models around that. And we all know that anyway, if we would need to read models to know that. <laughs> um, yeah. So with this project, like, do you do it as a certain um, style? Like it's like a certain amount of weeks or do you do it like it's kind of varied depending on who it's with or how does it work exactly? So the um, I published a book in 2019 that is the curriculum, the adolescent curriculum. Um, yeah. It's called One Teenager at a Time. And it's out there in the world. And the reason that I published it was because I knew that it would have a much bigger reach, right? It's not just me like working with little pockets of folks. Um, so it's out there. And then I offer um, training and consulting for educators around like, what, what does it look like to facilitate this? So there are um, dozens of different prompt discussion prompts and activities and facilitated discussion questions to have um, within that curriculum. And there's no particular order that anything has to go in. So each educator can kind of read the pulse of their classroom and decide like, maybe we need to be talking a little bit about empathy here, right? Um, or, you know, these kids are 11. So we're going to tailor this to this age range. These students are 17. So we're going to talk, you know, in a deeper way about this. Um, so it's really flexible. My, my goal is really just to work with educators to kind of shift the culture around what it means to be in a classroom with adolescents and let them lead and let them get excited. So, um, yeah, the curriculum is out there and it's available and, um, and then I'm just the person who's like, I will work with your educators, whether they're homeschool folks, you know, I, I work with those folks, I can work with administrators, I'm, you know, but it's really my goal is to work with educators to kind of train them to deliver this content in a way that's meaningful and that jives with what we know about how people learn. Mm. And then in January of this year, I published a companion book for parents of adolescents. And so that's really, it's um, less discussion and activities, but it's more really for parents to kind of unpack what are the things that, what are the biases that I have around parenting a teenager? What is, you know, when I, when my kid is doing this, why is it that I knee jerk call them lazy? Or why is it that I expect them to be able to learn and process information in this way? Um, and so that book is called Happy Healthy Teens. And it came out in January of this year. And it's and it's just really a companion book to that, that other one. And it's very similar, mindfulness, nonviolent communication, you know, around building relationship and what does it look like to involve our, our adolescents in creating developmental relationships as they get older and get ready to move out into the world. Mm, yeah, that sounds really amazing. And from what I gather, just from what you're sharing, it sounds like the parents also have work to do themselves. A lot of their own shifting comes from them, right? From probably their history of their childhood and their own schooling and all of that needs to change as well in order for them to be the space holders of the new generation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the thing is, it's most of us parent from a place that, you know, how we learned, how we were parented, right? It's like, okay, that's, and 
And often we will make different decisions. But one of the things I, I also run parent support groups for parents of teens. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've learned throughout that is that, you know, we have this idea of like, well, when I was a kid, dot, 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 right. It's like, okay, well, when you were a kid, there wasn't COVID-19, <laughs> there wasn't social media, right? Or maybe there was, but not to the extent that there is now, you know, I mean, sort of, so sort of unpacking all of those things, you know, when I was a kid, we took a standardized test to get into college one time. Mm -hmm. Now these kids are taking it once a year for four years, the whole time they're in high school to practice, right? I mean, the, the world is a completely different place. And so unless we're really mindful and intentional about what we expect of our children and we understand the context of the world that they live in is as being so different from the context that we grew up in we're not actually parenting them in a way that's meaningful and helpful so yeah we have a lot of work to do as parents to undo unlearn a Mm. lot of those things yeah and I think a lot of it comes back to just simplicity of values you know because values don't shift from age to age you know if those are installed and um I think we can make it through anything you know the pandemic showed that you know like myself personally and a lot of people I know have woken up you know it's been a really beautiful beautiful um process I know some people it's been you know depressing and you know there's been a lot of things that have happened but I think from it what's happened is people have kind of found themselves because they've had that time to stop to stop and allow um the world to you know, be immersed within them. And then from there, well, what is it that I'm going to do? What is it that I'm going to create? And I share that because I feel that's really relevant for teaching as well, just being able to give a pause and to just allow space for everything to transform and happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, during the first year of the pandemic lockdown, there was all this angst and worry about learning loss. You know, it was like, oh, our kids are getting so behind and all of that. And And one of the things that I would say to people is, you know what? They're not, they're just learning different things. Like what our kids are learning is which of these systems are broken mm. and won't serve us, right? They're learning what happens. How do I be flexible in when everything starts to fall apart? You know, how much do I need social interaction? Some kids were like, hallelujah, this is great. I love learning online. This is wonderful. Other kids were like, oh, I'm learning that I need to be in a physical space with other people in order to learn, right? So it's like, they they may not have been learning calculus or physics, Mm. but they were, everybody was learning. We were all learning. So how do we expand our idea of what it means to be growing and learning outside of these old rigid systems that we created hundreds of years ago. Right. And so I, yeah, I think a lot of it is really reframing, you know, not to minimize. Yeah. It was scary. Yeah. There were a lot of lives lost and there still are people dying. Right. And that's going to happen, right. No matter what. So the key is in how we respond to it and what lessons we take from that. And we're not going to take lessons from that if we think the only way we can learn is inside the four walls of the classroom with the teacher standing up at the front of the room talking at us. 
Yeah, totally. And I think it was a paradigm shift for parents as well, because parents suddenly became educators, but they've always been educators. I don't mean that in a like a way that's um, derogatory, because, you know, when a child is born, we become that that space holder for that child immediately. I believe all parents are educators. But what I mean is that they suddenly were given this extra thing that they hadn't possibly done before, unless, of course, they've been homeschooling or they've already just taken on that responsibility. So I like to think of it as like radical responsibility for education and I really mm. love that because I think the more people that are showing this radical responsibility well from that place what choices do you want to make because you're responsible for that right yeah yeah there's an intentionality around it right whereas before I think a lot of parents thought I, I know my parents thought this well, I'm going to send my kid off to school and I can check out because all of that stuff is going to be handled by somebody else right and parents have a lot on their plate right now. I mean, parents are, most parents I know are completely overwhelmed and overloaded. And I think the more we can be intentional and the more we can realize like, what, what are the things that I, that are important to me as a parent that my kids are learning? And then how do I have a conversation with my kid about that? Right. How, what's important to them? How do we collaborate on this? Um, and I think the, the more intentional we can be about it, the better it is because then everybody's on the same page, you know, and mm. it doesn't feel quite as overwhelming if we all know that we're, we have like a shared reality here. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think that's the key um, to shift overwhelm is the key, right? To come back into a place of being centered, being regulated, being grounded. And what you're offering through mindfulness for kids, I think is also really relevant for adults as well. You know, I think that is really part of this paradigm shift is us all, you know, holding space in that place of love and joy, even if it's you know, maybe it's not what we've been doing in the past, but it's like being responsible. I am responsible and I'm here to serve and to change change humanity in that way. And it leads me to a question that I had about, because um, you mentioned mindfulness. So I wondered, did you have any mindfulness um, tips in your book that you'd use with the teens or with the parents that you'd like to share? Maybe we could help them by listening. As you said, you mentioned there was mindfulness. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, every, every unit, every lesson, um, comes with a three to five minute guided meditation and they're all recorded and they're all on my website. Um, they're also are written down as part of the book, but, um, and they, and they all sort of follow the theme, right? So it's the, the lessons take the form of there's sort of a, a little story to start because we know that human beings love story and it hooks them in, right? And then there's um, a guided, there's some discussion questions, like how did that story hit you? What struck you about that? What, you know, I mean, depending on what the, what the story was. And then there's this facilitated discussion for a while, um, however long the students want to do it. Then there's an activity usually that kind of gets it sort of a little deeper into your bones. And then we close with that three to five minute guided meditation to really just sort of sink that in. That said, you can use the meditations um, separately on their own, which is why they're all on the website um, and you can go listen to them. But there are there are a whole host of them. Um, one of my favorite ones that tends to be the most impactful for teens, especially, is um, I call it the appreciating your body meditation because we're so used to um 
you know, hating our bodies. Like it looks wrong or I have pimples or, you know, I, it's not doing the things I want it to do. I'm not fast enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not, you know, whatever enough. And so this meditation leads folks through a body scan, but it, but we do a body scan where we're paying attention to all of the like phenomenal, amazing, miraculous things that our bodies are doing for us at any given moment that we're not paying attention to. Right. So the, the muscles and bones and tendons in your feet are like constantly shifting and moving depending on whether you're wearing shoes or not, which kinds of shoes you're wearing, what surface you're walking on. Like you're not consciously directing that, but your body has this wisdom and it just knows like to move things. Oh, there's a rock. I stepped on it. Yep. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to fall down. Right. There's, you know, everything to like the way that our digestive system works and it knows inherently like what's healthy. And I'm going to send this off over here to extract the nutrients and use it to build bones. And then this, we're, this is waste. And we're going to get rid of this. Like, so it's again, a short, like four minute meditation, but it leads folks through this, like it can shift your entire understanding of like, kind of doesn't matter what shape my body comes in, what package it comes in, all of these things that it's doing in any given moment are astonishing mm. and fabulous and amazing. So there are meditations like that. There are meditations to really just sort of quiet your mind and calm. There are meditations to combat anxiety. Um, and, you know, I, and I encourage parents to do them as well, because I think, then you can start to have conversations with the, your young people around like, wow, how did that meditation hit you? What did that feel like for you? Or did you have a hard time focusing? Was your mind wandering? You know, you can, cause we, we exist in relationship with each other. We thrive in relationship with each other. We're designed to be in relationship with each other. So I think using mindfulness on our own and then being able to bring out the little nuggets of that to share with other people in our lives is really impactful. Mm, it's amazing. I love the sound of those meditations. They're really profound. And I love that they're short as well, so that it's really appropriate mm -hmm. for the age of the children as well. Yeah. And I love what you're just sharing around um, body awareness because, you know, I feel it's really the key to learning. You know, holistic learning is not about your mind. It's about like knowing your whole self, knowing the body, knowing what does my soul need? What does my heart need? And then also from there, okay, well, let's direct those things to the mind. So they're really important. They're really, really important. Um, and as you were saying, for many reasons as well, but also for learning, people maybe maybe don't realize that, it, or maybe they do, but it just wanted to share that that just came through, you know, that it's very relevant and necessary. Yeah, it's, I heard this thing a few months ago that really struck me. I was in this workshop with a psychotherapist and he said, of all of the information that our body and our mind processes in any given day, only 20% of it flows in the direction from our mind to our body. The other 80% of the information that we're taking in flows from our body to our brains. But in our Western culture, we have been conditioned to ignore that, cut it off, not pay attention, right? My stomach mm. growls like, it's not lunchtime yet. Nope, mm. not paying attention. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Or, you know, I'm working out and my knee starts to hurt and nope, we got to push through the pain or right. We've been conditioned to ignore and, and, and not only those big things, but like the little like spidey sense when the hair raises on your arms and you think something's not right here. So that, mm, that feels really weird, right? We've been conditioned to be like mind over matter. Our brains are way more important, but we're cutting ourselves off from 80% of the information that we could be taking in, in any given day. So yeah, the more we can see this as a relationship between mind and body, there's no hierarchy. There isn't one that's more important than the other, you know, um, and the, and the younger people are when we can teach that to them, I think the more important it is. Um, one of the things I say in my workshops is, I think it's really important for us to ask ourselves, my, is my mind setting the pace for me or is my body setting the pace for me, right? 99% of us, it's my mind setting the pace, right? But that's like driving your car down the freeway at 55 miles an hour, regardless of whether or not it has oil or gas in it. If I'm not paying attention to the resources that my body has and the messages my body is giving me, eventually I'm going to crash, <laughs> right? So letting your mind set the pace all the time and not tuning into the messages that your body is sending you is a recipe for disaster. So how do we teach young people not to cut off their body wisdom? I think it's really important. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent agree, agree with you around that. And it's more than just using the body as in like, I'm going to go and do a run and use my body in that way. It's like body awareness. So it's like, okay, I'm going to run, but I'm going to feel my body as I run, or I'm going to listen to my body because I feel like the more that we listen, you know, health, health is there, you know, the the time that you're not listening is when you would get sick because the body has been giving you all these signals, but there's been, you know, ignoring the signals, ignoring the signals. And then the next thing you know, you're sick Mm -hmm. and you can't study or do whatever you want to do anyway. So listening to that body, like if it's not a moment for learning, it's not a moment for learning, go and take a rest. (laughs) You know, it's really, it's really that simple, but we make it so complicated, you know? Yeah. We do. And, you know, those, those, again, it's those systems, like we try to standardize everything, right? Like I can remember being a kid sitting in class and thinking I need to use the restroom and the teacher saying, no, you're going to have to wait. Right. I mean, something as simple as that, Mm. you know, or it's not lunchtime yet. Well, for whatever reason, and especially with, with younger kids, when they're growing, like the fact that we restrict their meal times to certain times during the day mm. instead of cultivating their ability to listen to their body about like, I actually kind of need a snack right now. You know, that's, we're reinforcing that split between mind and body, right? I know so many adults who have eating disorders who are adult, you know, they're like 30, 40, 50 years old and they have no awareness of whether or not they're hungry ever. Like I have a friend who she said, I said, so what do you, you know, how do you know you're hungry? And she said, I don't, I I spent so many years denying my body nutrition because I wanted it to look a certain way that now she's 48 years old. She's like, I don't, I don't know what it feels like to be hungry. I don't know Mm. what that is. Mm. So I just eat at certain times during the day because I know I need fuel. But I mean, 
<laughs> that's an extreme case, but still, you know, where are we denying all of the body of information, all of the wisdom that we could be taking in in any given day? And how are we reinforcing those messages to our kids? And what harm is that doing? Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you. And also listening to the heart as well, like teaching children to listen to their own intuition and their their heart as well, because that's also part of the body, but it's a different signal. And it's um I think that's really powerful because I think that's where a lot of the magical learning happens because it comes from passion, it comes from excitement, it comes from alignment. Uh there's yeah. no disengagement, there's this excitement of like, I'm ready, what is it? You know? I love yeah. that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things I love about teenagers, right? Is that there's this really unique thing that's happening in the teenage brain where they're moving from black and white, concrete, either or thinking to being able to understand things in a more abstract way and being able to hold sort of two opposing ideas at once. And, And I think if we can teach them to tap into that intuition and that heart space while they're doing that, then it's, there's something magic there, right? Because it's not just things are right or they're wrong. Things are good or they're bad. You know, it is, oh, this feels different. And so if it feels different, does, is that just a little discomfort or is that danger, right? And, and how do I discern between those different things? And then where can I investigate that? Like, why am I uncomfortable with that particular idea? Maybe maybe being in discomfort is a, a space where I can learn, right? You know, um, that I love, I don't know if you're familiar with Adrienne Marie Brown. She's a um, educator and author. She's amazing. But she said, I was in a workshop with her a couple months ago and, and she said, I've gotten to the point in my life where if something feels wrong to me, instead of like cutting and run, I see it as a divine invitation to find the rightness. So that's what I want to do with these young people, right? Is to like, what's the difference between discomfort and danger? And if I'm in discomfort, how do I investigate that? What does that mean? Is it, and how do I challenge those ideas? Maybe, maybe those things are things that I was taught that I believed that aren't necessarily true. And so how do I unpack that and kind of tease that out a little bit? It's pretty magical stuff. Yeah. It's really beautiful what you just shared. And it made me lead to another question about just teens. Like it's probably like the stereotype of all teens is like, you know, when they shut down and they don't want to share something and the parents are like, what do I do? What would be your advice on that? My biggest piece of advice for that is to, I, two, two things. Number one, create a really safe space where they know there's no judgment this isn't a right or a wrong thing. There is not like, I'm not, if you, if you tell me how you're feeling, I'm not going to roll my eyes and say, oh my God, you're being so dramatic. Or why are you upset about that? Right. There's no, we have to, we have to suspend judgment. Number one. And number two, we need to lead with curiosity because the thing that's happening for teens. And again, this starts as early as 10 years old and it lasts for 10 to 12 years. The emotion center of the brain 
which is the amygdala. There are these two little almond shaped structures like right above the lizard brain, right? That's the center of our like fight, flight, freeze response. During the adolescent years, the amygdala is swollen to three times its normal size. Oh, wow. Everything that, that enters the teenage brain is filtered through the emotion center of the brain. And so most teenagers are in fight, flight, freeze 90% of the time. And if we don't teach them how to calm their nervous systems and co-regulate with people who are safe, then they're just going to stay there. And then they're reacting from that emotional place. And they're not in that, in this place of like being able to think critically or have any self-awareness. But when we lead with curiosity, if we say, wow, that's really interesting. So what do you think is going on? They can get out of the emotion center of the brain and into the rational thinking part of their brain. Whereas if we are judging them or rolling our eyes or saying, would you stop crying? You're making me crazy. That's that keeps them in that emotion center, right? Mm. It feels scary. It feels sad. It feels like you're going to, you know, banish me. It feels like there's something wrong with me. So, so we, as adults, teachers too, we need to cultivate that non-judgment and then asking kids, not yes or no questions, but asking them, like, can you tell me more about that? Or what, what don't, what don't I know about this situation that you'd like me to know? Is there something that feels, um, and if they're really, really shut down, I mean, it, this is a process, right? Cause it's not going to be just this overnight thing where they automatically go, Oh, okay. I'm safe with you. Um, if they're really, really shut down, then the biggest thing that we can do for them is just continually remind them I'm here. If at some point you think of something that would feel supportive or comforting. Wow. Just let me know, right? Whether that's a hug, you want to go out for an ice cream, you want to sit and watch a stupid movie together, you want to talk about it, you know, what just I'm here. You you tell me what would feel supportive or comforting. Amazing. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that. I didn't realize that about the amygdala. That's really, really important to know. And it's like, yeah, that it's swollen. So it's really, it's really important at this this developmental stage. Makes sense. Now. It is. Yeah. And it's a physiological thing, right? It's like, it's not like you can say to you, I mean, you can, we say it all the time to seniors, calm down, chill out. Why are you freaking out? But they, they, they can't, they physically cannot do that. And the thinking around this is that that was an evolutionary thing, that there's a reason that the amygdala is swollen during those years. And that's because, you know, back when we were cave people, that was the time of life when we were sending these young people out to hunt. We were saying to them, you know, now you're an adult and you're going to go out into the world, right? So the amygdala got got swollen as this way to keep them safe, keep them alive. Like, I'm going to overreact to everything because now you're on your own without a grown-up and everything out there is dangerous, right? So that's the working theory now is that the reason that that happened was as a way to keep kids safe. But what we know about our current way of living is most of the things that they're encountering are not dangerous. 
Mm. So how do we help them calm their nervous system so that they can tell the difference between discomfort and danger, right? It's uncomfortable when your best friend says, I don't want to sit with you at lunch. I'm mad at you. That's not danger, but they perceive it as danger because swollen amygdala, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. I hear you on that. Thank you. That was really, really useful what you've just mm-hmm. shared, even for myself. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah um, you're welcome. I'd also like to know, I ask everybody on our podcast uh, that comes along, um, well, what is your vision for a new paradigm of education? I really, really want us to involve students in designing. I want students to have enough agency, even young students to be the architects of their own education. I want us to normalize different learning styles. You know, there are some kids that we label ADHD because they're kinesthetic and tactile and they need to move and that's how they learn. Um, but it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them or they need to be medicated, right? I, I hate the one size fits all thing. Um, I want us to really pay exquisite attention to the way that human beings learn. One of my biggest frustrations is that most middle and high schools, and I'm speaking in the United States here, cause that's what I know most, you know, we have these, everything is compartmentalized into all these different subjects and you get an hour with this and then an hour with this and then an hour. And we're like, boom, 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 you know, moving from class to class with five minutes in between. And that's not how the human brain works. We are, especially by the time we're adolescents, we're not compartmentalizing. We are making broad connections. We are figuring out context. We are, we need time to daydream. You know, we need time to take in a little bit of information have a conversation with somebody about it, go for a walk, maybe take a nap. And then we're going to have like an aha moment. Whoa, this is awesome. Right. So I would really love for our educational systems to be more free flowing, to be more student led, to recognize different styles of learning and to prioritize joy and fun Mm. and play, you know, because If I really want to be an engineer for NASA, then I'm going to seek out ways to learn calculus. I just, right. But if I want to be a musician, I would so much rather go down that path. And I don't want you to force me to take physics and calculus and all of these other things, right? And maybe someday when I'm tired of being a musician, if I want to learn those other things, I can go learn those other things, right? But I I would just love to see us involve young people in their own educational path and really have um, a way for us to prioritize the things that are exciting and joyful and playful. And because we're gonna learn deeper, better, we're gonna innovate more and you know, and everybody's going to be a lot less stressed. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. Enjoy and play are states of um, what you're saying. You're free of the flight and fight mode. So you're already in that space of regulation and in that space of happiness. And there's just so much research out there around this, that it's not just like, oh, let's just, I mean, it is, it's amazing. Let's just go have fun, but why not just go and have fun and learn at the same time? It's actually the most effective way of learning. 
And it's just a paradigm shift to to get into that mode that work is not hard and boring and long. And it's like, okay, let's shift that. Okay, work is fun. Let's make let's let's make everything in that state of joy and play like you're sharing. And seriously, that would be the total shift happened right there. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Because yeah, you like you said, there's all that research out there, right? Like when we're in fight flight, the language processing portion of our brain is shut down. It's turned off. So you're not taking in information. If I'm in that flow state where I'm having fun and, you know, enjoying myself, then I'm able to process that information so much more efficiently and effectively. It only makes sense. And I don't honestly believe that we were put on this planet to work. (laughs) I really don't. So, so much of, you know, this stuff that we've created is just completely made up. And I think, you know, we would be, we'd all be a lot better off if we focused a lot less on work and a lot more on just what it means to be human in relationship with each other and the natural world. Yeah, 100% agree with you. I love that so much. And I encourage everybody who's listening to go out and play today. Go make make fun of the day, make fun with your children, with your students. Enjoy, enjoy. And honestly, that in itself is going to help change everything, not just the educational system, but humanity as a whole. And that really excites me. That's one of my biggest missions. And that's why I'm sharing it, because I really, really, really um want the whole world to be awake and happy. I mean, it just makes sense to me in so many ways. <laughs> thank yes, you so much, I Karen. Agree. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. So if anyone wants to reach you, um, how could they reach you? They can go to my website, theselfproject.com, um, or they can email me at Carrie at the self-project, K-A-R-I at the selfproject.com um, right. and reach out to me. I tailor all my stuff Really there, I don't have like cookie cutter programs because I don't believe in that stuff. So if you want to do a parent group or if you're an educator and you want to do something innovative and different, reach out to me and I'm, I tailor all my different programs for different folks and what their needs are. And all of my work is sliding scale fee. So it's accessible for folks too. Oh, that's amazing. It sounds like your heart is really in the mission and that you just want to help so many people. That's that's so beautiful. Yeah. And I really love that you've created the books that can be spread around, not just in America, but around everywhere. And and yes. they sound very, very useful, like that you can just jump into the book and just find one aspect that you want to try that day and just give it a go. Just try one aspect. Yep. If you don't want to do this whole big program, have a look. Okay, I'll just yes. try this one today. See how it goes. And maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. Then try a different one. Try a different one. And over time, you're building up those um the muscles to make change within yourself anyway. Right. So. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely how the books were designed is like, just open a page, dive in and there's no strict regimen at all. Just yeah. play and have fun. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So everybody who's been tuning in today, thank you so much for being a part of a new paradigm of education by you listening to our podcast. You're also holding hands with us and being the innovators of change. Namaste everybody.